Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Welcome back to the At Work in America show. We have a great show today. Uh, I'm joined with Trish Steed. Trish, how are you today? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I'm well. I'm so excited to get into the show. We're going to be talking about bringing the organization to the modern era, kind of some of the challenges facing the modern CHRO. We have a fantastic guest waiting in the wings. We just got a chance to talk for a few minutes before the show. I think this is going to be one of their best shows of the year. Uh, Trish, let's just get right into it. Uh, do you want to thank our friends, of course, at Paychex before we get started? This episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. If you think stress-free payroll isn't possible, you should think again. Whether you need to simplify your tax filings or streamline your day-to-day payroll systems, Paychex makes managing your payroll easier and more profitable. From self-service employee portals to automated processes, Their services can save you time and money while giving you peace of mind that everything is up to date and accurate. We'd hate for you to miss out on all the benefits of working with Paychex can bring. That's why we have a special offer for new Paychex clients. For a limited time, get one year of complimentary digital W-2s so you can focus on growing your business instead of time-consuming payroll tax. And you can learn more at Paychex.com slash A-W-I-A. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, thanks to our friends at Paychex. Trish, uh, I am excited today. Uh, we, you, you, my HR leader, right? You're my CHRO for years and years. But today we're welcoming uh, CHRO. We're so excited to have him. He's Don Robertson. He's from Northwestern Mutual, where he's the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer and a member of the Senior Leadership Team of Northwestern Mutual which is just a minor little organization, Trish. There are 30 plus, <laughs> 30 plus billion Fortune 100 financial services company and the larger U.S. provider of life insurance and a manager of more than $570 billion in combined company and client assets. Don joined the company in July of 2018 to lead the employee experience, developing and driving forward its people vision and employee value proposition to help Northwestern Mutual's 8,000 plus employees and 20,000 plus field members deliver on the business strategy and propel its culture forward. Don, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm great, Steve and Trish. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you as well. It's great to have you. It's uh, Northwestern Mutual is a huge organization, but maybe one that uh, folks who are not you know, in the insurance mm-hmm. or financial services space may not know, but I was surprised in even doing some of the prep uh, work for the show today. Just uh, the wide variety of financial services, products, and services the company offers. Uh, it's It touches so many uh, millions of people, I'd imagine, right, Don? It does. I mean, we have almost 5 million policy owners in, in, in the country. Um, and as you said, we are the large, largest uh, provider of life insurance. But we're more, more, much more than that, as you talked about. We're really an, integrate, an integrated financial services company in a lot of ways. And it's all about really allowing our customers to um, relieve their financial anxiety. It's, a, it's you know, it's such a great company to be part of because it's, uh, you know, it's the first company I've really worked at in a long time that actually really has a noble purpose. And our purpose is really just to allow our our, our clients and policy owners to to live their lives, you know, and, and live it the way they want to live it. And so it's, it's just fun to be part of it. 
It's so good to hear. And I love that, you know, you have so many clients, but one of the things I know we want to to start with this morning is talking about all of those talented employees that you have mm-hmm. to have right mm-hmm. on hand to take care of such a large client base. I'd love for you to maybe share with the audience a little bit about your talented employees and your strategy around both finding them and then retaining them. Sure. Well, there's a, there's a few questions in there and I'll try to unpack it for you. Um, one of the things to think about, Tristan and Steve, that'll really kind of surprise you is about half the company has joined us in the last last, last four years. So it's um, so you've got a very large percentage of the company, predominantly in the technology area, as we've evolved and really become more digital uh, in a lot of ways in the last five years and, and during COVID. And then about uh, the other half of the company had been with us a long time, like 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So you've got this interesting dichotomy of 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 tradition and a 166-year-old company that's got amazing tradition and values and principles and and pillars of strength. And then yet you have to pull it forward to, to the edginess of the, of the future and kind of bring those things together. And so that's been an interesting uh, five years for me. What, what made it, I think, possible to do it is because the company is so value-based. It is so purpose-driven. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the biggest uh, advantages we have in recruiting is people today want to work for a company that's actually trying to do something to help people not just try to sell people things. And I think um, one of the things, Trish, that we've done really over the last five years to really rethink the way we do recruiting is really helping people understand who we are, what we're about, what we're, you know, and we just think, when you think about that, the, you know, how we reward people, how we recognize them, how we communicate with them, how we lead them, how we, you know, compensate them, how we help them grow in their career and the way the environment we surround them with. And so when we approach it from a, from an institutional standpoint, from an HR standpoint, we think about it in that kind of an ecosystem. And so as, as we're doing whatever we're trying to do in every day is all reinforcing the values and behaviors of things that, that were really, it's really important to us. And so our employee value proposition is really focused on allowing our employees to achieve, you know, choose their path and achieve their career. Um, And it's a very similar to what we tell our customers, you know, you have to, you have to understand what it is you want to achieve in your life, and we're going to help you get there. Well, it's the same thing in, in, in our employees. We're, we want you to come here because you're part of a part of a purpose and a mission, and you're and you're you know the company's financially strong. It's high values. It's all the things that you would ex- expect with a mutual company. But um, it's also because it's growth, because of its opportunity, it provides tremendous opportunities for people. And unlike a lot of companies out there, we really don't want to just have people come here, spend a few years and go somewhere else. We want people to really feel like they're part of something. They're part of a family and they're growing. And, and I think our entire attraction strategy has been focused on that. Don, that's a really interesting point, because one of the things I've heard, certainly in the last few years, particularly as... Um, this newest generation is entering the workforce mm-hmm. is that companies and talent leaders have been encouraged almost to look at supporting employees to maybe do a tour of duty, if you will, at an organization and then support them as they might move along, right? And mm-hmm. find something mm-hmm. else to do. Whereas what you're describing is a little bit different than a lot of um, 
a lot of the recent maybe advice or strategies I've read around, especially this next generation of talent, right? To you, you're sounds like you're trying to foster an environment where people do want to stay and grow right there at Northwestern Mutual for maybe longer term than than other organizations. We do, and and, and Steve, that's you know the company's been around since the 1870s, so I mean it's it's always been our principle and our and our philosophy that we really want to you know have people come here, stay here, and be and, and thrive here. Um, and so it's at our core who we are, but we're not, you know, listen, we're not naive. I mean, you're not going to, you have to sometimes get specialty skills, whether it's certain technology skills, certain product design, digital skills that you may not have for 10 or 15 or 20 years, but you still want to be trying to attract people that would like that, you know? And, um, and in fact, we are unique in that we're a company that is trying to really build careers and, 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 and a kind of a family almost environment here. And, and we can do that because, from a mutual standpoint, every first of all, almost all the company people that work for us are policy owners. Our customers are policy owners, so it's it's um we're not we don't have shareholders. We don't have quarterly reports, so we can think longer term. We can take we can play the longer game, and therefore we can we think we can attract people that are kind of tired of the grind and you know the layoffs and the the, the ups and downs and the, the quarterly results and the short term decision making. Um, you know, we're more of a philosophy. I wouldn't call us egalitarian, but we're because we're a performance oriented culture. But we're one where we really think about everything we do every day is how do we help our policy owners be more successful? How do we deliver for them? The key, though, um, that we're we're thinking differently over the last number of years is we have to make sure, though, that while we're delivering for our policy owner, while we're delivering for our customers, we're also delivering for the employee. So and that may sound simple. But the intentionality of that is 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 very, very complicated. You know, if you're going to be a culture that while people are delivering for the for the customer, they're also delivering for themselves. You have to make sure your employees really understand what they want to achieve in their career. You have to make sure that you have really clean career plans and, and development plans. Your managers have to be really thinking about being talent multipliers and growing talent, not just about delivering for the customer. And it's, so it's not just about getting the outcomes for the business. It's also about getting the outcomes for the employee. And so your entire ecosystem is designed to reinforce that. And we think because of that, you know, we're going to, we're very attractive and that's why we have less than 6% attrition. We have employee engagement. That's an 80%. We've, uh, we've, we've grown our, our people of color from 9% to 30. We're 50, 50 women. Our leadership team is 40, 40 plus percent women. Um, and all those things have dramatically increased over the last five years because we've, we've really helped our employees understand what they can really be part of. I love that you have of such solid statistics on the actual changes that you've made, especially in these past five years. Could you elaborate a little bit on maybe for, for companies that aren't quite that far along in their, in their thinking or their strategy mm -hmm. around even having an employee value proposition? Um, do you think about it in terms of obviously maybe generations, but also in terms of the employee's life phases? Is it different if you were to have an employee maybe my age and my 50s versus sort of that attraction and retention for someone who is more junior in their career? How do you all think about that? And how does that play into the way that you're, you're thinking about your proposition overall? 
Well, you're you're exactly right. Just like just like what you were saying, Tris. We've got people in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. So it's you can't design something that only works for certain generations. And um, and 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 so the the, the key things you have to look at are making it more personal, making it more uh, focused, making it more um, uh, to make you know. And that's why your leaders, you know, one of the things we really challenge our leaders to do is get to know your talent, get to know your talent of all levels, spend time with them. I'll give you an example. One of the challenges we had uh, five years ago was we didn't have, uh, we were really struggling with, in our people of color. They had higher attrition. They had higher um, or lower engagement, um, lower promotion rates, a number of things that were really clear that were going on that were not good. Um, but rather than try to come up with some big program to address it, one of the very first things that I did was I basically did a Zoom with all of all hundred our, our black and African American men. I did a Zoom with all of them, and I had a, a two hour meeting with them, and just just spent two hours talking to them and listening and really just understanding what was causing them to feel like this wasn't the place for them. Um, and it's incredible what people will tell you if you actually take the time. And it's 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 not common that senior leadership member goes and meets with you know people like that. But I just felt it was the only way we were going to get a handle on what was really going on. Yeah, uh, and you also have to create some space for those folks to be correct. frank and open. Correct. Did, did, correct. Do those folks feel comfortable with you, especially a member of the leadership team, really sharing? What- and, and- because I'd be worried a little bit, maybe, yeah. right, in a situation yeah. like that. Yeah, Steve, and, and you're absolutely correct. And and one of the things you have to very early in the conversation do is demonstrate an empathy and authenticity, uh, uh, just, you know, just an ability to be to welcome. So you can't be defensive. You can't be, sit, be sitting there trying to. You just listen, and it's really hard because you're hearing a bunch of stuff, and your natural tendency is to want to. Well, let me explain, or let me give you this, but rather just, you know, just say, "Yep, I understand. I get it." And at the end of the conversation, that was about two hours. They they all looked at me and said, "Hey, would you be willing to meet with us, uh, you know, once or once or twice over the next year?" And I said, "No." And they said, well, "No, maybe no." And I said, "No, no. I'm going to get, I'm going to break you into groups, and I'm going to have the entire senior leadership team meet with you monthly as groups." And and they were like shocked. They're like, you know, oh my God, you know. And so we did that over over about a 14-month period with that group. By the way, to this day, we do it with all our affinity groups and we still do it. Uh, and um, and it was incredible because my colleagues would come to me and be like, we had them first we had everybody meet with their own people. So they kind of got to know them at all levels, but they were just so blown away by what they heard. Um, so you developed this rapport where people felt comfortable now telling you how they felt. We were able to take some of that information and, and, and apply it. Um, and we went during a 14-month period where we didn't lose a single person in that entire area. Our promotion rates went to from you know one out of seven to three out of seven people were getting promoted. So we were, they were they went from having the lowest uh, uh, engagement to the highest engagement, highest employee NPS score in the company in the 50s okay. for an EMPS. They went, their attrition almost went to, well, almost went to zero. Um, and then we started doing that for the African-American black women. We started doing it for the, for the Hispanic population, you know, and so forth. And that's how we, you know, that's how we grew. And then of course, because then people start to become more comfortable than they tell their friends. And what happens is you get momentum from this where the organization is also changing. We also, you know, we, we, we required slating. We started to, we started to do top talent reviews when, you know, we just started to put in place a lot of the sophisticated things that you would expect, but at the same time, pulling the thread of this DNI through the talent strategies, not as a separate activity. 
Um, even, you know, putting it in comp plans, measuring it, you know, targeting it, talking about it. And we did that same thing, whether it was the DNI strategies versus, you know, or how we wanted to be our managers to be talent multipliers. And we started rewarding people and made people realize what should matter to you isn't just how good your team is performing, but how many people have you promoted and grown outside of your area? And then at the same time, you're telling the employees, hey, you can have all this. You just have to want it. And if you want it, we're going to enable it. And, you know, and then we did a bunch of other things from a data. We used data and science. Like one of the very early things that I had a conversation with my folks when they were telling me about, well, we're doing this really well. I'd be like, okay, let's look at the data. You're saying we're doing really great in, in, in the Hispanic Latin population. So why are we only 4% of the population? You know, why has it been flat for three years? Why is there no people that are highly rated in that in that group and then you started to because people can't fight data you know they you know <laughs> it's not anecdotal it's data you know and so then as we started to do some of these things and do some of these activities we started to see the data and then it becomes momentum driven so that's just an example john thank I you for sharing that yeah, yeah I, that's, I called, that's say- called by the way that's called project uplift that we did and it's about uplifting people and it's almost become like Bleach is Clorox. I mean, when people now say we have an issue with a group, they say, well, let's uplift them. And it's become almost a, it's almost become a noun uh, of, uh, or an adjective, uh, adjective of what we're going to do to, to deal with like, like when we had technology folks leaving at a little higher rate than we liked about two years ago, by the way, now they're really low. We said, well, let's do an uplift. And I went and met with 150 of them and then another hundred of them to do the exact same thing. Cause it shows your employees how much you care. Yeah, I love that you made it really personal and that it started out when you talked about just listening, not not necessarily even being there to solve anything yet, not trying to, like you said, explain things away. I think that's what builds that connection with an individual and that does make it very personalized. So even if it was 100 men you were talking with or 200 or however many, you know, each one, I'm sure, felt that immediate connection to you. I think that's the thing that leaders fear, though, from both my own experience with working with leaders throughout the the years in human resources, but even now hearing about leaders talking about they feel like they have this need to fix something or have an answer for it. I think that's great that you are encouraging your senior leadership to have vulnerability and just listening and saying to that group, you know what, we can't fix it if we don't hear from you what you need, right? Absolutely, Trish. And let me tell you, I even took it one step further and I still do this as well. I also always offer the group that I meet with if they ever want a one-on-one with me and I will help them in their career. And uh, and and many of them take me up on that. My, my assistant wants to kill me because it makes my schedule <laughs> crazy. But um, and 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 in fact, I also invite them. Hey, if you're going if you're going for promotion, if you've got a big assignment and you're struggling with how to do it, um, reach out to me. I'll help you. I give some people even my own phone number and they can text me and they and they and they do it. You know, at first they it's you know like Steve. Back to your point, they didn't really. Yeah. Can I do that? You know, they but feel then safe, right? It's incredible once they start doing it how much word spreads that they do that. And then they all start doing it. Um, but if, if think about it, if I can do that and my nine uh, colleagues on the SLT can do that. And then the next level, the 60 of us below, all of a sudden now you're leveraging 70 people and you could be leveraging 20, you're hitting thousands of people. Like I meet with three, 400 managers a month in that kind of setting, because you can just get your, 
you can have intimate conversations where you could provide context, you could give them perspective. And, and the power of that just adds so much, um, so much to it. Um, and it gives them such and it gives them an ability to talk to the people because you can't town hall your way to change. You have to connect to the people at the ground level, but you have to do it through the managers and people in a personal way. You know what? I want to twist the the question a little bit to you now, Don. How does that impact you as the leader? Because what we're talking about is actually how it's benefiting the employees. But I asked because you mentioned you give your your cell phone out, right? They can call you or text you. I've had a CEO who did that before, and I know people really didn't take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. um, I found that I thought I'm going to make up reasons if I have to to talk, you know, to text him occasionally just to have that connection. It really opened things up, I think, for him too. How does that impact you? Have you learned anything about yourself or changed how you lead? Oh, without question. I mean, um, the perspective that it gives me, um, you know, the one thing I can, you know, for example, in the in the diversity side, um, I could I could be the most empathetic leader as humanly possible, but I will never know what it means to walk in the shoes as a black or African American man. There's I, I can't you know. So having the ability to spend time with with these folks to understand what they're what they're dealing with, what their challenges are, what their background is, how they think, um, and you know, and and there are differences, and it and it and it gives me an ability to then be much more uh, thoughtful as I think about, you know, solutions or ideas about them. And, and, and it, so it just opens my, pers my perspective up and it gives me a broader view of how people think. Um, and, you know, the, the, the challenge is when you're at the highest levels of a company is you, 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 Jack Walsh used to say this when I worked with him years ago is like, the more sweaters you have on, the less you feel the weather, well, the more layers were removed from people in a day to day, the less we actually know what's really going on. And so spending time with these these folks has been so enriching for me because it actually gives me a sense of this is what people are actually thinking out there, not what we think they're thinking. Um, and it's it's opened my eyes a lot and it's it's given me pause. You know, I, I it's given me actually, Trish, more desire to even push harder because it's so much it's so important. I think it is important. I think, you know, I remember early in my career, I was with PricewaterhouseCoopers and a partner uh, was once telling me that, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy. And I thought, oh, no, but you're a partner, right? And I think what happens is he was explaining to me, the higher up you go, it actually gets quite lonely because mm -hmm. you are removed, right? That is that layer of sweaters, you know? And so you lose yep. your perspective sometimes. You're so worried about the big picture and looking at an organization from that level and having big deliverables for yourself that sometimes you do sort of miss what a more junior employee might be going through, what someone who's uh, a different race, a different gender, whatever that might be, right? So I love that you now have that perspective. I feel like that's such a gift. And if leaders out there listening aren't doing that, I think they're really missing out. And it's a really great opportunity for them to make that small change today to start that conversation. Well, thank you for that. And I agree with you. Engagement doesn't engagement is an outcome. It's not a it's not a it's not a strategy. You, you have to connect with people to 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 drive engagement. And if people people feel connected by the by by connecting with them in a personal way, like I, a lot of times I'll be in meetings with senior folks and they'll talk about something and they'll think they're working on a communication for them, and they'll be like, well, I don't know why that, that you know why that's not going to work. I said because the person out there is thinking about what it means to them, 
they're not worried about what it means to the organization. I mean, the first the first thought the average individual when they're sitting in the audience and something gets announced is, oh my God, what does that, what does that mean to me? And you have to remember that because when you're communicating with people, yes, you have to, you know, sometimes we have to make tough decisions. Sometimes we have to do uh, difficult things. But the more that you can help that individual understand that, that you thought about them as you're making those hard decisions, the more that they're going to be willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, um, rather than companies that just announce things and don't demonstrate an empathy um, for what the average person, that means to the average person. It doesn't mean you don't do the hard things, but how you communicate and how you connect is very critical to how you ultimately build the trust with your employee base. John, what's interesting, as you've been talking, I was looking back through the notes prior to the show, and I saw you joined Northwestern Mutual a couple of years before the pandemic, year and a yeah. half, a couple of years before the pandemic. Yeah. A couple of years. How, yeah. So how did some of this, this realization and this really intentional strategy of connection and personalization and really getting to know people, why did... How did that sort of work through that era where I imagine there must have been some period of disruption, right, to, to work practices at Northwestern Mutual? You probably had a time where you sent people home and maybe some are still home. I don't know. But did you have to work differently? Like, how did that sort of play out over the, that period of those couple oh, of years? Absolutely. We had to. Um, so thank God I did join before the pandemic a couple of years so we could actually have put in place a lot of these things that I'm talking about before the pandemic hit. Now, let me be clear. The company has been 166 year history, been wildly successful, very value driven, uh, very, very employee driven in a lot of ways. What they didn't have necessarily was some of the institutional sophistication, but they always had the, the, the intent to do a lot of these things. And so there was always a strong connection with our employees. It just it sometimes it didn't always mean all employees. Um, but I think what care and, and so when the pandemic hit, we sent everybody home for almost two years. Um, okay. It was um, it was a very I mean, it, it was almost an overnight thing. You know, you went from in March. I remember that I remember it was a Sunday morning and uh, we were we had a lead senior leader meeting uh, on Sunday morning. We're all deciding what are we going to do? This thing is getting worse. You know, it's March of I think it was March 19th, if I remember. And, we're, and we decided that day we're going to have all our employees go home. And I have responsibility, by the way, not just for HR, all the facilities, all the security, all the restaurants, a lot of the meetings, all a lot of other things administratively. And so we're all like, you know, we had just done a test literally like a month earlier. Can we all work from home and uh, not blow the system up? And and and, I, and that wasn't prophetic. We just were lucky we scheduled it. But um, okay. so we had confidence that we could do it. Um Obviously, things like Zoom and Ring and all these things had barely started to really become a norm. But what was great about it was we we sent everybody home. But prior to the pandemic, I would think our I thought our employees kind of you know we did town halls. We were kind of stiff. You know, we were on stage with suits and and everything else. And what happened during the pandemic is we connected with our employees. I think in a different way. Like we would. We would be in our our offices with our dogs and our library and our fire people. Got, they got to see us as people, and um, and I think as a result of that, it actually broke down some of these barriers that I think had existed. In fact, we had we even did uh, set up Slack channels for these town halls where employees could send stuff to us during the town hall, and we would respond. Um, and they just it just started to develop a whole different connection. Um, and as I said, we were talking off 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 air. 
the half the time, if I, if I was speaking like this and they couldn't see my dogs, the Slack would say, where are Don's dogs? We want to see his dogs. <laughs> um, so I think it, it really created a, you know, a connectedness. We did one at Christmas time where I wore a reindeer uh, costume and somebody else, you know, wore something else. So it really gave us a chance <laughs> to connect with our people. Yes. I will not show you pictures of that. That's funny. Um, but we will, it created a connectedness and it created a, a familiarity and a, and a, and a, and a collegial kind of environment that I think really carried us through the pandemic. And, 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 the, and the proof is in the fact that the two greatest years in the history of the company performance-wise were 2021 and 2022. Um, and, you know, and 2023 so far is looking like another great year. So we've come out of the pandemic stronger and had our greatest performance in the history of it. And I think a lot of it was because of the culture and the, and the, and the values and, and what we had built and, and then how we handled it through that period of time. And we are, we are flexible. We are flexible now. We have most employees are back in the office about three days a week, but we have several thousand remote employees. We have, uh, uh, you know, around the country. So we're, I would say we're, um, we're probably middle of the road. We, we're certainly a more in-person culture than, than maybe other places, but we allow flexibility. And I, and I, I, I don't see that changing. And then that really sounds like Don, just where the I hate to use best practices and throw it out there on you, but that's kind of sounds like where the best practices around this sort of thing is landed, right? It's some combination of flexibility, some remote work, some people maybe whose jobs are really can be completely done remotely and be very, very effective at it can be done that way. And, and, but, but maintaining those in person, those personal interactions, which sounds so important to what you guys are doing at Northwestern Mutual. Yeah. You still have to have the connectedness. Proximity does not equal connectedness. Connectedness equals connectedness. So whether you're somebody that's next door to you in an office, but you never talk to them, you know, or you, or if you're coming into an office and you spend your entire day on zoom calls, cause your team is all over the country. Um, so you have to do what makes sense. I mean, we are absolutely believe that people need to connect. You know, we've had to teach our, we've had to really redo the way we do onboarding to be much more digital because, you know, we've got thousands of people now that are remote that don't come in until you can't just rely on in classroom. So we've had to get more digital, more modern in the way we uh, onboard people, the way we interact with them. But we, but I also would not recommend that have remote employees that just sit out there at their kitchen table that never come into the office. You want to have, you want to have the connectedness. You want to have people realize what they're a part of. This is such a special place and there's so much, you know, uh, vibrancy and, 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 and our campus is so amazing that we do want people to come in periodically. So it's finding the right balance. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line about finding the commonalities. And I think that what you're talking about is once you've built those sort of trusting uh, relationships, once you've shown your dogs, right, you're, you're finding ways that people who may not know anything else about you are now thinking like, oh, well, I love dogs and Don loves dogs. That's something we mm-hmm. have in common, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe they would, if they saw you on campus in person, where they might not have, you know, just passed you in the hall before, they might be like, oh, hi, Don. How are the dogs, right? How's your exactly. dog? Yeah. Exactly. No, You're exactly. Giving that to them, right? Yeah. yeah you are, Trish. And that's, a, and, tr- and trust me, that that has happened. I mean, we've, you know, we've become, I think, more approachable. I have people, I have people stop me Saturday night at nine o'clock at a cocktail event, just come up and say hi to me. Hey, Don, how are you? You know, I mean, so believe me, there's, um, you know, and of course that's more the Gen Z millennials that do that, but that's okay. Um, because we love that about them. Uh, and, um, but no, I don't, I think a lot of the stereotypes 
and a lot of the uh, traditions of the past. You'd never walk up to a senior leader and just say hi. I think those things are going away, and I think they should go away. Right. Um, well, I know you yeah, mentioned Gen Z. I would love for you to talk about. You know, obviously, uh, Steve and I both have Gen Z uh, kids that are starting into internships and so forth. I'd love to hear what you all are doing as you have Gen Z who have already entered your workforce or who are interested and up and coming, how are you handling them? And are you doing anything special to sort of make sure that you're connecting with them? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And uh, I have 19 and 22 year old boys. So believe me, I know the, I know the generation mm -hmm. well. Um, first of all, they're fabulous because the nothing is, nothing is, sacred for them. I mean, they'll ask anything they'll, they'll, you know, they, uh, and which I think is a good thing because I think you get uh, a level of, of participation that, you know, it's not like when I started out, it's Deloitte Haskins and sells many years ago in, in the accounting where I had to basically do cash reconciliations for two years and never talk to anybody. They're, they're not a generation that's going to necessarily do that. And that's probably a good thing. Um, I, I think that the thing that we try to do, though, with with the Gen Z's and millennials is get them involved in things. They, this is a generation that wants to make an impact. They they want to work for companies that are making an impact. They want to, um, you know, they want to experience multiple different things. They're not necessarily, uh, you know, going to be somebody that wants to work at the same company for 30 years or do the same thing for 30 years. So you have to actually really connect with them on a very personal level and really get them involved. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I did, for example, in some of the diversity things I was talking about earlier is I uh, some of the architects for what we did were Gen Z and millennial people of those affinities uh, groups and it got them involved and said, hey, what do you think? Because it was and, and by the way, by doing that, not only do you get fabulous ideas, you get their buy in and they're going to they're going to be part of the and they're going to help you. Um, the, the, the key thing that also, though, you have to think about, though, is and this, by the way, this is limited to them. It's any any generation, but you can't be in such a hurry to get promoted or move around that you don't build skills. I mean, I still think the future economy and, and the most important thing a CHRO needs to do in any company is really become a skill based a skill based environment, not out, not a title based environment, not a role based, not a familiarity based based, um, but a skill based. And what I mean by that is you have to build skills because ultimately at the end of the day, the best way to make sure you have the best talent is that they have the skills you need to accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish as a business. And so it has to be focused on the skills and capabilities and experiences. So there's really three stages to when you when you do a role. One, you know, learning the role, learning how to do it. Um, then two, doing it. Um, and then three, we all know what three looks like is when you master it, because when you master it, you start expanding it, you start doing other things. And the key is don't let people get promoted before they get at least close or in the mastery stage, because that's where you build the confidence, the experience, the skills that allow you to then go to the next thing and pull it with you. Like, for example, I, you know, I spent 20 years in business and almost 20 years in HR. I don't think I would be the CHRO I am today if I didn't have a lot of the business experience and other things in my background. But if I'd have blown through those things and didn't really benefit and learn, I don't think I would be the leader I am. And so you, because contextual contextual intelligence, contextual ability to pull the experiences you've had in the past to the present doesn't mean you cookie cutter it, but you can draw on those parallels um, and it gives you a confidence level. Um, and you don't have to then, you know, you're not guessing, you're actually basing it off fact. And I think sometimes the newer, the younger generations are in such a hurry to move through the organization that they sometimes don't. And so we need to help them understand that. 
And when you have that kind of a conversation with somebody, if you have a conversation with somebody, hey, it's, you know, if you have one conversation where, well, you know, you've only been in the job a year, that's not enough time, you need to spend more time. They don't want to hear that. But if you say, hey, listen, you really want to, I know you want to be able to do this kind of job in five to 10 years. And these are the experiences and skills you're going to need to build. You have built some of those great skills in that job. I think you could get a little bit more of that and that'll help you. Then they'll listen to that because that's focused on them, not on you. That's true. Or, or not on some arcane Correct. old school, right? You must do three years at junior level before you can then Correct. be senior level, right? Which was very, very typical in the past. Exactly. Yeah. And it's got to be case by case. You can't put a you can't put a mandate out there. You've got to stay in a job two years. You got to stay in a job three years because it may not make sense for certain things. And uh, and I think that's why the manager is so critical in the development and growth. And that's why we spend so much time with people leaders, because um, they're really the ones that are closest to this situation. And that's why we also try to incentivize our leaders to be as focused on the deliverables as developing their people. Yeah, I think also. So you need to be telling whether it's Gen Z or millennial workers, enjoy where you are in the moment, because quite often my my children are this way as well, right? They always do want to do something. I should be, you know, doing something more or different. I'm like, no, enjoy where you are at the moment, right? You are learning skills. You are building that experience level. And it's not always about rushing to the next thing. It's about really excelling where you are. And then that's what automatically makes you ready for the next step, right? I think we all learned that just because we didn't push so hard, maybe we were kept in those roles a little bit longer. But to your point about even your entire career, it made you ready for being the CHRO that you are today, because you did sort of take that little bit more practical approach to it, right? And not just always wanting to be promoted early. Well, I like to think so. And I, and I think you bring up another really important point. Growth doesn't always have to mean promotion. Um, you know, I mean, we grew up in a society where, you know, I want to be a director. I want to be a VP. I want to be an SVP. But, you know, the, the important thing is what are the skills you're building? Not just, you know, and so sometimes like I know in my career to move up, sometimes I had to go sideways. In fact, some one time I had to go down. Because, you know, I mean, I was making a change from one, really one profession to another. And, you you know, you and, and by the way, just even if they were to move you the same, if you don't have this, if you haven't built some of the experiences, you may not perform well. So sometimes you take you want to take a step back or take a step sideways to build some skills and, 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 and do it in a way where you're going to have the support, where you can have the success. And, you know, and then and then then, of course. In my case, because I did that a couple of times, then I went through like three levels, very short a period of time because I built skills to be able to do that. Um, so it, it, it is about patience. It is about, but but most importantly, I think it's about being thoughtful about what you want to accomplish in your career and not just being reactive to opportunities because you're focused on just promotion rather than development. That's great advice, uh, Don. I, just a couple of days ago, I did a, an interview with a college student asking me some of those kind of questions. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to ring him up and say, listen to this podcast back, you know, because <laughs> Don elucidated some of this advice way better than I did. But uh, I do appreciate you taking the time. But yeah, because we're all, we we, we joked before the show, we're all parents of Gen Zers, right? And we're all around the same age, oddly enough. And we're dealing with a lot of these same things in our lives. And I'm sure lots of the listeners are too. Uh, Don, uh, this is awesome conversation. This is kind of like a tour de force right now, what's happening in the, C the CHRO chair, quite honestly, especially at a large company. But uh, 
I think a lot of the uh, the things that you're doing at Northwestern Mutual and some of your advice is certainly applicable to any type of organization, really of any size. And uh, mm-hmm. we do appreciate you taking the time. We'll, I'm, I'm going to let you go in the interest of time. We won't talk about the Mo- you being on, on the field, I think, the other day for <laughs> at the Milwaukee Brewers game as Northwestern Mutual is uh, a partner at the Brewers, which is not a... All right, let's talk about it for one second. That had to be fun, right? You're a baseball guy. I know you're not a Brewers fan necessarily, but was that a great experience? Well, first of all, I've adopted the Brewers as my second team, so I'll root for them. You know, I'm from San yeah. Francisco, so I'm a Giants diehard fan. But but I'm, it's always wonderful. This is such a wonderful city, and they're such a sports you know such a sports community. The Packers, the Bucks, the the Brewers. So it is terrific to see the success of the Brewers, and I know the partnership that Northwestern Mutual has with the Brewers means a lot to the community. It's a very community oriented company. So. Yeah. Um, and so that was, it was super fun to see that. And I, I got to tell you, it's a lot of pride, you know, being part of a company that does these kinds of things. There's only 30 baseball teams. There's only, you know, only one in a city can have the, uh, the patch. And so for us yeah. to be, that was pretty, pretty special. Yeah, that's exciting. We've worked with a couple of partners of ours who do various types of sponsorships on, on sports and the people who work at those companies are so proud of that. They point yeah. to it. They'll, they'll go out to the team store and buy the jersey, even if they yep. don't like the team, right? Just because yep. you've got your company on the sleeve or on, on the front of it, which is an awesome thing. So, um Don, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for spending some time sure. with us. We'll we'll direct people to northwesternmutual.com. There are some openings that right now, uh, I'm yep. telling you, I'm ready to apply right now, Don. I'm probably not <laughs> qualified. I'm probably not qualified for anything, but I, I tell you, I, I'd rush it out there and I would only because listening to this show and listening to you talk, you get a real, real good sense and understanding of the Northwestern Mutual uh, commitment to its people across the board. And that's the kind of place I think would draw people in, as you said earlier, right? And and make them want to stay. And I I think it's a really compelling story. And thank you for uh, taking the time to share it with us. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. They can also, people can also find me on LinkedIn too, Don Robertson at Northwestern Mutual. So um, anything I can ever do to help. And thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure spending time with you. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Trish, great stuff. I love this. This is like what we live for, right? To have these kind of conversations with with some of the best HR leaders in the country. So it's fantastic stuff. Absolutely. I took like two pages of notes. So thank you, Don, for all the learning there for me as well. So my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. stuff. Okay, great. We'll let Don go. Trish, thank you so much. Great to see you. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course. Catch all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. We will see you next time and bye for now. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.